Well, good morning. Thanks again for joining us here at Prairie View Christian Church on Palm Sunday. And we appreciate you spending it here with us, whether you're here in the sanctuary or joining us online. Now, thankfully, unlike last year, we actually have a room full of people for Palm Sunday. And even if you aren't here at the building right now, at least you can worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ and listen to a sermon in real time, rather than clicking on a big list of links of pre-recorded videos. So as we read the story of Jesus's triumphal entry this morning, I hope we'll found a new hope will have a newfound appreciation for it, even if we've heard or read the story many times before. This week and next week, we'll be reminded of who God is and what God has done for us through Jesus's final trip to Jerusalem some 2000 years ago. And in case we may have forgotten over the past year, being away from the church on Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, this is the week that serves as the bedrock of our Christian faith. So go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 21. Feel free to follow along as we go this morning. But before we read any further, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you that we can worship you together, so many of us, in real time. Uh, That is a blessing, a luxury, an opportunity that we did not get this time a year ago. And so I pray that we would not take it for granted this year or any other year. I pray that you'd watch over us as we worship you. Uh, Watch over us as we read your word. Whether this is the first time we've really read this story or the 50th time we've really read this story i pray that we would not lose sight would not lose our sense of awe and wonder at what it is that you did for us what it is that you have done for us what it is that you are doing for us and will do for us through your son jesus christ if we've forgotten lord remind us and if we've never heard it before Teach us today for the first time. Lord, again, we love you. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this place, this time. Thank you for your word that we gather around that teaches us all we need to know about you. We love you. We glorify you. We thank you for Jesus. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll start by reading Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. 
And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Continuing in verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. And leaving them, Jesus went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. For the first time in his three year public ministry, Jesus embraces the popular hype surrounding him. Previously, Jesus was hesitant to be too forthright about his mission and his identity. Outside of his 12 closest disciples, Jesus often preferred to fly under the radar. It appears that most of the time, Jesus wanted the truth about his mission and identity to be made known on his terms, not anybody else's. That's why he sometimes told those helped by his miracles to be quiet about what had happened to them. He refused to let demons announce who he was, even when their words were technically correct. And in John chapter 6, verse 15, Jesus directly resists a crowd's attempt to make him king. But by the time you get to Matthew 21... On Palm Sunday, Jesus is done playing his cards close to the vest. He embraces all the public hype about who he is and what he's come to do with royal imagery that everyone can see. He organizes this triumphal entry himself down to the finest detail. He arranges for the donkey to be brought, knowing where it would be, whether or not it would be tied, and what the owner might ask. This is no coincidence. Jesus is intentionally fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 11. That's the part in verse 5. Your king riding to Zion, another name for Jerusalem, humble, mounted on a donkey. And the Jewish crowds surrounding Jesus, people intimately familiar with the Old Testament, would have understood the reference as well. They would have recognized the signs. 
King David once rode into Jerusalem on a donkey after putting down his son Absalom's rebellion. King Solomon rode a donkey into Jerusalem as well. So when Jesus is riding this donkey into Jerusalem in Matthew 21, he's claiming to be a king too. He's even willing to sit on the disciples' cloaks. After all, no king worth his salt rides bareback. But the man known for serving others finally treats himself for once. He's a king. The crowd outside of the city embraces the royal atmosphere as well. They throw their cloaks on the road. No king should have to trudge his donkey through dust or mud. They throw down palm branches as well. In the ancient world, palm branches represented life, peace, and victory. Again, imagery appropriate for a king. But perhaps the most significant detail is what the crowds say. The word Hosanna is an appeal to God. It translates to something like, save us now. Save us now. And calling Jesus the son of David goes back to God's promise in 2 Samuel 7. That King David's son would rule and reign forever. And that phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that's not just used for anybody. Words like those are fit only for a conquering king sent by God himself. And naturally, with all this talk of a victorious king's triumphal entry, the city of Jerusalem is stirred up. At the time of the Passover, it was already a bustling place. The usual population of roughly 30,000 would swell to around 180,000. And if you throw in the arrival of royalty, or at the very least a prophet, that additional influx of people could not help but be intrigued. The atmosphere was electric especially for the Jews. You see, Jerusalem, God's chosen city, hadn't been the same since roughly 586 B.C. when King Nebuchadnezzar ransacked the place and exiled God's people. You may have heard that story recently. The crowds may be wondering if the prophecy of Zechariah 8 is finally coming true. If the city of Jerusalem will be rightly returned to its former glory. And then what does King Jesus do when he enters the city gates? He fuels the flames of tension, drama, and excitement by heading straight to the temple. He cleanses God's house of the corruption that had seeped in. He restores the temple from a common place of business to a holy place of prayer. Funny enough, the prophet Zechariah says something about that, too. In chapter 14, verse 21, he writes that someday there would no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts. And of course, all the while, 
The religious leaders don't know what hit them. They've had run-ins with Jesus before. In their minds, Jesus had a knack for getting a little too big for his britches. That's nothing new. But they haven't seen anything quite as bold, quite as audacious as this. In the Gospel of Luke, the religious leaders insist that Jesus calm his groupies down. Only for Jesus to say that if they don't worship him, even the stones would cry out. That's how great this king is. Jesus finally leaves Jerusalem after all the excitement. But he'll be back tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. And the next day. The spectacle is far from over. We spent the past seven Sundays reading about various royal failures of the Old Testament. The bad kings of Israel's sordid past. It was a sermon series packed with difficult texts, disturbing stories, and obscure names. At times it was hard to preach, and I'm sure at times it was hard to listen. At some moments I found myself wondering... And maybe you wondered why we were doing it. But you experience part of the Bible's beautiful complexity when doing the hard work of knowing the Old Testament pays off by helping you better understand the New Testament. And you can especially see that at work here. The stuff we've read about for the past seven weeks feeds into what we're reading today. If you were here for it, you have some idea of where all the Jewish hopes and expectations of a good king leading a reunited kingdom came from. You have some idea of where all the dreams of a new son of David, a newly liberated city of Jerusalem, and a newly restored temple of God's holy presence came from. Those were our three big words last week. David, Jerusalem, temple. And they're all here on Palm Sunday. After generations of sin and idolatry and failure and judgment and exile and oppression, God's promises to his people are finally being fulfilled. And it all revolves around the king who just rode into town on a donkey. All those hopes, all those expectations, all those dreams are put on Jesus's shoulders. And, you know, so far, his chances look pretty good. Jesus's arrival into Jerusalem is off to a roaring start. Compared to the royal failures of the past, Jesus is already a smashing success. At this rate, it's only a matter of time before King David's throne is reoccupied. Jerusalem is released from Roman oppression. And God's temple is refilled with his glory. And what better occasion for all of this than the Passover? The remembrance of God freeing his people from slavery in Egypt. What better occasion to do it 
It's all coming together perfectly. But in the midst of all the excitement, all the electricity, all the expectations, there's something these crowds don't know about Jesus. Only the disciples have heard the real reason for Jesus' trip. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Chapter 17 Verses 22 and 23, Jesus says, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And then one more time, chapter 20, verse 18, Jesus says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. You see, Jesus did not come to Jerusalem to rule and reign. At least not in the way the crowds expected. Once you get past all the royal imagery, all the pomp and circumstance... Once the donkey is returned to its owner, the cloaks and the palm branches are picked up, and the streets are quiet, storm clouds begin to form. In the coming days, Jesus' words become even more stern. The religious leaders become even more embittered. A disciple even becomes a traitor. Jesus' trip to Jerusalem... The one that started off on such a high note will begin to take a dark turn. And given Jesus' three predictions on the road there, his disciples who heard them and we who just read them ought to know what's coming. Many years after the events of Palm Sunday, the Apostle Paul writes a poem. Some call it a hymn. It's found in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. This passage is usually broken up into two parts. Verses 5 through 8 are often referred to as the descent, and then verses 9 through 11 are called the ascent. We'll read the descent this week and the ascent next week. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death On a cross. Jesus is, always has been, always will be, equal with God the Father. And that's not out of selfish ambition 
We're looking at you, Adam and Eve, grasping for equality with God. Jesus is equal with God in his very nature. Yet the Son of God left the glories of heaven behind, subjected himself to the weaknesses, limitations, and temptations of a fully human life in a fully fallen world. Things that everyone in this room is all too familiar with. And as if that wasn't humiliating enough, this man, the Son of God, went to death, even death on a cross, for the sins of others. The cross was the most shameful, gruesome, and scandalous punishment ever invented in the minds of sinful humanity. A cross is no place for a king. But then again, Jesus never was an ordinary king, was he? He came to conquer, all right, just not the enemies the crowds expected him to, in the way they expected him to. And he came to fulfill hopes, expectations, dreams, and promises, all right, just not the ones the crowds had in mind, in the way they expected him to. Jesus had bigger enemies than Assyria, Babylon, or Rome. Jesus had bigger plans than a worldly throne, a liberated city, and a restored temple. Jesus came to fulfill even bigger promises than the ones given to Abraham, Moses, David, and Israel. The enemies were sin, death, and the Satan who brought them. The plans were for a heavenly throne, an eternal city, and the fullness of God's presence on earth. And the promise was for all the families of the world, all of Adam and Eve's sinful children, all of us. Jesus would accomplish this mission in a way the disciples heard about three separate times but didn't fully understand. Jesus would go to Jerusalem. He would be delivered to the religious leaders. He would be condemned. He would be handed over to the Gentiles. He would be mocked and flogged. He would be crucified. And Jesus would be raised on the third day. Jesus would deny himself and take up his cross. He would give his life as a ransom for many. He would descend in order that sinners might ascend. He would become poor that we might become rich. Jesus, the man who knew no sin, would become sin. That we might become righteous. And this gift is offered to all who believe in him. Last year, this year, and every other year. The story, of course, is far from over. The triumphal entry is just that. It's an entry. Much more would happen in Jerusalem over the next week. We look back and remember it around this time every year, sometimes calling it Holy Week. 
The triumphal entry on Palm Sunday marks the beginning of the lowest point of Jesus's descent in Philippians 2. The resurrection on Easter Sunday marks the beginning of the highest point of Jesus's ascent in Philippians 2. So next week, we'll read the rest of the story. How this otherworldly king would go from riding on a donkey's colt to standing in front of powers and authorities to marching up a mountain to hanging on a cross to lying in a tomb to rising from the grave to sitting at the right hand of God. So that at his name, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God, the father, the things that we gather to do every single Sunday, the things that we gather to do this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Thank you that Jesus knew exactly what he was getting himself into. He knew what you had sent him to do. Lord, you knew your mission. You knew your identity. You knew that you came to be our great high priest and our sacrificial lamb. You knew that your mission was not complete with a sinless life. With miracles, with teachings, with A good example, as great as all those things are. You knew that your mission would culminate in the city of Jerusalem, where you would give up your body, would shed your blood for sins you didn't commit, so that we might be given a righteousness that we don't deserve. Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning, the rest of this day, the week ahead. Every day between now and Sunday, as we think back, as we contemplate, as we consider what it is that you've done for us. Pandemic or no pandemic, people in the sanctuary or people not in the sanctuary, like last year, this story is true. This story is the bedrock of our salvation. And I pray you'd be with us next week as we finish the rest of it. We love you, we honor you, we glorify you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.